You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down, yeah. <laughs> Let's get it. I'm pumped. I'm excited. It's episode, I think it's like episode 48 of the Minority Trailblazer podcast. I know we missed a week. It was Thanksgiving. I had to take a little break. We'll be back now. Shout out to Lakashaw for providing us that intro. If you your first time listening to this show, check out Lakashaw on SoundCloud on the web. He's doing his thing. DMV rapper, man. I love brown skin. Love a brown. I, man, it just gets me so hyped, so pumped, so motivated. And I know we got a show for you. Side note before we get into the show. Make sure if you haven't already, if you ain't new to this podcast, you ain't left the review, make sure you leave a review. Also, I do want to say one thing. Please keep me in your prayers, the host in your prayers, because you know I'm in a Title I school. I'm a teacher and I'm a speaker, a podcast. There's a lot of stuff I'm, I'm working with, but specifically keep my students in prayer because they're dealing with a lot of stuff um, in a lot of different areas and they need outside prayer outside of myself so if you're the praying type please keep my students in your prayer and i knew i know i usually start off the show with some personal tidbits about what i'm going through and to segue into the show and kind of set up the team theme and the topic but today's episode we get deep like we get deep towards the 40 minute mark and man, there's some jewels, some jewels within. So I'm a, I'm a stop right now where I'm at and get into the show. But I'm telling you, this is one of the deepest, most honest and transparent shows that I have ever recorded on the Minority Trailblazer podcast. All right, so if you're new to this show, stay tuned. We go for a ride. If you've been coming to us every single week. You in for a ride, and if you be coming every single week, you better tell your friends to, to listen to the show, because we taking things to a whole nother level in 2017, God willing, all right? Also, be on the lookout, third quarter. I've been mentioning it earlier podcast. I think we finally got a date for the annual, the first inaugural Minority Trailblazer Summit, so the more details coming soon, but definitely put on your calendar, third quarter. Be on the lookout within the next couple episodes. All right, so let me get into it. Welcome to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. And I'm your host, Greg E. Hill, the culture change agent. On this show, we interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower, and inspire our current and 
future generation of leaders. And of course, I know I missed y'all Thanksgiving. I was all tied up in the country with the fam, but we back this Thursday and we have a phenomenal show. I'm calling it right now. It's going to be a classic, classic, classic episode with our guests that we have on the line. And um, it's just going. This show is going to be a little different, different vibes, because of course we're going to dig into the guest backstory, the journey, um, the company, but we're also going to cover some topics as well that we haven't really discussed on this podcast, and that in general, um, black men, young black men, usually don't talk about. So I'm, I'm excited to kind of dig deep into this show um, and bear with us because I know usually you already know where the show is going. We got the beginning, we got the middle and the end. We might start at the beginning, we might go to the end and middle. I don't know how we're going to rock with it, but y'all stay tuned with this episode. I guarantee it's going to be full of humor. It's going to be full, of course, honesty, and it's definitely going to be full with actionable chunks of info and advice that you can apply immediately. So enough on that. Let me do a short, short, brief intro. Let's jump right into the show. So today's featured guest is a writer, content strategist, editor based in New York City. Um, He has worked for companies such as LinkedIn, where he held a variety of different roles. And um, his last role there was program manager for the consumer content, where he co-managed the influencer program. Most notably, he is the co-founder and currently the head of corporate branding at Blavity, which is a startup focused on merging technology, innovation, and the power of black creativity. And I think I'm underselling what Blavity has been able to accomplish over the last couple years and what they do, because even on the last two years, they've become one of the fastest growing digital media outlets on the web, reaching more than 7 million 7 million readers a month. And I don't know when I got that stat. So that might be outdated as of today. And um, as a writer, he works, has been published in 99U, um, Brazen Careers, Under 30 CEO, Huffington Post, to name a few. Um, he's passionate about great stories, mentorship, um, passion, impact, vulnerability. I mean, this guy is one of the most well-rounded cats that I've met on the digital space as far as writing, storytelling, and just having a unique and authentic voice. And he is one of the founders of what I'm going to call right, right now the new wave of black media, new wave of getting out our millennials' voice. It is Honestly, the platform of Blavity is the voice of the black urban non-urban millennial so man without further ado i want to get in this episode i would like to introduce my brother jonathan jackson to the minority trailblazer podcast welcome to the show man thank you for having me that's 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 quite possibly one of the trillest intros i've ever gotten i, I just need to hire you i'm having <laughs> bad days to be like greg i need i need the juice man Give me the juice. Pleasure <laughs> nah, to be here, man. <laughs> no, nah, I'm pumped because I, I feel like this is really going to, man, because I, I've read about you. I know we still have never met in person, but I, I've, I've read about you online before we even talked um, via phone. And then yeah, yeah. just seeing seeing what you've been able to accomplish, but also seeing the things that you shared on your blog, seeing things that we've talked about um, in private. I'm like, man, this is going to add a lot of value to the show, to our listeners. And I'm pumped, man. I, I appreciate that. I'm excited, too. All right, cool, cool. So as we are going to stick to the script because normally when we start, we always start off with a quote and a story about how you use that quote in your everyday life. So, John, man, hit us with a quote, man, and how you apply that story or that quote to your everyday life. Got you, man. When I was really, really, really little, um, like like probably like five or six, my mom used to sit me down when I was either doing something wrong or just sometimes when she was, she was driving somewhere and I was in the backseat and she used to look me in the face. And say, Jonathan, your decisions determine your destiny. 
mm. right over and over and over again i used to be like mom what? okay like this is just like my mom i'm from a uh west indian household right so that's just like west indian moms always have like four or five like platitudes in the cut like your favorite rapper has some bars like a west indian mom has just like sayings that they use <laughs> that was one of, that was one of hers and i didn't get it until i started to 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 get a little older and realize that what she was saying um, was a gem. And it was a gem because she was actually telling me about the importance of being intentional with what I do. Right? She wasn't saying that like you make this decision and the rest of your life is either good or bad. She was saying where you are right now is the sum total of decisions you have in fact made. Mm-hmm. So at any given point, based on what you believe is possible, you can shift that reality. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you this year alone, how important that has been. Like I've kept that close to my heart, but just in general, I look at the things I've seen and done and the L's I've taken and the L's I've avoided, you know, that's, um, that, that's what it had to be. Like I had to have that. She wrote that into my heart and I, I've been able to take that with me. Man, that's deep. And what age, and the reason why I'm about to ask this question, because currently, um, I just made a transition from my people that have been listening to podcasts and the teaching. And I always ask, and I always want to know, like, what age did it really click that your decisions do matter? Because some people, like, as, as young adults now, we can see it every day, but for some people, it clicks at different par- parts in their life. And it doesn't really understand, like, your, your day to day decisions really do determine your outcome. Mm-hmm. So when did you start to realize like, hold up, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like what I'm doing right now, the decisions I make, whether right or wrong, clearly are going to affect my future. Yeah, man. Um, I think it, it's at, it was at a couple, it was at a couple different, different areas. I think if I'm really being honest with myself, it probably clicked when I um, applied and got into boarding school. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll abbreviate the story, but long story short, my brother had a homie who went to a private boarding school and he came and spent Thanksgiving with us. And he told my parents, like, I think Jonathan would be a good candidate for that. And my parents like laughed. They were like boarding school. Like he's already in a good, he's already in a good school. And I was like intrigued because in school I used to get in trouble because I would ask questions the teachers didn't know the answers to. Mm. So my parent teacher conferences would be crazy because they'd show <laughs> up and my mom, you know what it is. Your mom, that sister, my dad was like the kind cop. My mom was the bad cop. So the teacher would be like, my mom be like, how's Jonathan in class? And like that determines whether you catch the hands in the car or in the parking lot. And <laughs> she was always like, he's fine. She'd be like, okay, cool. Um, is he turning his homework? She's like, great. And he'd be like, great. And then he'd be like, well, there's a problem. And she'd like look me in the face like it's about to be over for you. And I'd be like, no, no, no. And the teacher would be like, he asks a lot of questions. Mom would be like, well, what questions does he ask? And, um, She'd be like, you know, ones are just kind of disruptive. My mom would ask this clarifying question, which I love her for, which was, is it disruptive because you don't know the answer? Ooh, your mom, in the, in the parent-teacher conference, she would say that? She's, she's different because she's like, I'm paying for him to be here, so you can't talk to us that way. And she's always, she's always had that, right? So she's like, I'm, we are not out here. This is not for free. This is an exchange. So he asks questions at home. So if he's not in my home and he's in a place where he's being nurtured, shouldn't he be able to ask the questions that he has? And a lot of people aren't built for that level of transparency. So, um, you know, that that all bundled into my educational experience. But fast forward. And when my, my brother's homie was talking about whether I should go to boarding school, the idea behind it was it was an environment where I could learn and ask different questions. But it was um, economically inaccessible. So I did a bunch of research. So I basically applied to college four years before I applied to college because the application process for Boarding school is similar. You got to you gotta download information. There's a mm-hmm. specific test called the SSAT you take. 
and then you you have an interview process because um, these schools admissions rates are pretty low. So I did all that information. I got the top 10, the 12 schools, and then I did a presentation in front of my parents. Like I had the booklets. I was like, this school does this. Here's where the people that go to this school usually go to college. Here's what the alumni look like. And I had to convince them that this was a worthy use of their time and resources. Um, and so that decision alone fundamentally transformed how I thought about education because I realized I was in the driver's seat. Mm. Right? It didn't matter whether or not um, somebody thought this was a good idea for me to do this thing or to go here because none of my friends were doing this, to be clear. Like, mm. I didn't know anyone else applying. Um, so I had to basically put that on my back and say, look, this is something I'm curious about. I got to find all the information. Um, and that's when I fell in love with research. But that's just sort of how I think about those decisions, right? Those, and at the, at the time, you never think about, right, hindsight's twenty twenty foresight. Usually you have no idea. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know that that was going to set me up for lifelong friendships. Like my homies, I went to, I went to high school with them. We've been, together, we've been friends for like 10 years, right? Like I'm gonna, they're going to be best men at my wedding. Mm-hmm. Like, so had I not done that and, and taken that leap and that risk, like I wouldn't have known what I know about myself now. Man, that's that's man, that's 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 some powerful stuff, man. The 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 gym that for most people may sound simple, but now even even you saying that the the space of the life space of life I'm in right now is like the the key thing I brought out of that was, um, you said you were the driver, like you were the captain of the ship right there. You like you you controlled it. Like you were, yeah. you, you control that. And it's like, okay, Greg, that's simple. But seriously, like any, any, and, and for our listeners right here, where, wherever you're at in your life, wherever you're at, when your career, whatever you're at in any space, once you really sit down and clear your head, not like texting, not on Facebook, not on social media, just thinking about it. Like, yo, I, I control this for the most part. Like you mm-hmm. can control your decision. Like I can control my s- majority of the things that I do, the decisions I make. Like it's not, that's why. And even this whole presidential atmosphere and everything that's going on with the world and whatnot. I mean, it was a lot of people worrying and stressing. Even I caught a little stress for a second, but I had to realize like, Greg, remind yourself, like you, you control still when you wake up and how hard you're going to work, how many excuses you're going to make, how many commitments that you're going to hold yourself accountable to, how many commitments you're about to dodge, how, Mm -hmm. like who, what kind of conversations you're about to have. Are you going to gossip? Are you going to tell it straight? Are you going to be honest? Are you going to go to church? Like all these decisions that I make every single day, and then they nobody else controls that. And and man, if we take full control over those little things, our future begins to come so rosier. But once we touch ourselves one time giving somebody else the keys to that car, then it just all gets weird. But um yeah. but but before we get into going going left, can you share with the audience, man, uh where you come from? And I know you briefly said it, but where you come from and who you are before Blavity, before LinkedIn, before you became and we started adulting and whatnot. Who is Jay Jackson in the flesh? Yeah, man. So um, I am born and raised in New Hampshire. Um, so for a lot of people, that usually gives them pause because they've never met somebody of my specific hue <laughs> from that area of the country, if you will. But, you know, I'm, a, um, I'm the youngest of two. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have a, I have a big brother named Sam who I love. Um, and... You know, I think it, it's, a, it's a good question, man, because I actually I actually would invert it. I would say, who am I outside of the work I do? Because mm-hmm. I think too many of us use what we do to define who we are. Mm-hmm. And those things, in many respects, it's helpful for them to be mutually exclusive because who you are will always inform what you do. 
And if you're not doing what you want to do right now, that doesn't mean you're any less of who you are. It just means you're growing into that. Ooh, I got to stop right there. Just let that breathe because I mean, I, I, hopefully y'all don't miss that. If you're not, go back 10 seconds of this podcast because that was a gem. <laughs> All right, continue. I'm messing up the flow. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so I'm a, um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lover. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a brother. I'm a son. I'm a, I'm a uncle. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a product of a lot of grace. Um, I want to be really clear about that. Like there's some things in my life that, uh, statistically speaking, I was not supposed to survive. Um, you know, I, um, I'm a writer, you know, I've always been a thinker. I've always been somebody who asks questions. I'm always been really driven by people and how I can learn more about them. I love, love, love stories. Um, and you know, so, so, uh, my family split. So my my dad um, on his father's side is from um, the south. And mm-hmm. then on his mother's side, his mom is from Trinidad and Tobago. My mom um, is from Trinidad and Tobago fully. So she immigrated um, to Trinidad. But I have a lot of family um, there, family in London, family in Brooklyn, family in um, Canada. So usually following the migratory patterns of, of where West Indians actually ended up. Um and, and yeah, man, I'm, I'm a, I'm a kid from a, from a small city, um, about 80,000 people, wow. uh, give or take. Right. So it's interesting because it's sort of on the cusp of Massachusetts. Um, but it's sort of a throughway. So usually, um, people can, people come up to New Hampshire to shop because there's no sales tax. Um, and then they leave. And so one of the things I really struggled with growing up was like always thinking there was more, like I always knew there was more for me to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, more for me to see. And my parents did the best they could to show me who I was, where I was from, and to give me the um, girding to ask questions, even if they're difficult and not run from them. And that I've just taken and carried with me regardless of where I've been. Went to school, um, went to college in St. Louis um, at Washington University in St. Louis. Uh, I studied political science with a minor in writing in American cultural studies. I studied political science because I didn't read the brochure clear enough. So when I got <laughs> to school, I didn't, I didn't realize there wasn't a sociology department. Oh. So I on campus like, yeah, I'm about to, I just want to be a sociologist, want to study people. And there were no soci, there's no sociology major, but there were adjunct sociology professors, but they were all in the political science department. So I was like, okay, bet. Now I just have to finesse all the, re- all the research I could get from that um, theory of study into political science. Mm-hmm. Um, which which actually I enjoy and and a lot of the tactical things you learn with a book of science degree I, I find really applicable. So to anybody listening, don't let them talk crazy about your liberal arts degree. Like you can use it out here and you can win with it. Uh, just matters what you decide to apply it to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then right after right after school, you jump right into LinkedIn. Yeah, right after school, man. So I, I moved from St. Louis to the Bay Area, um, and off off a off a referral. Um, of a, I, I would call him a mentor I had um, at WashU, um, and you know stepped into that world. A totally, totally green. Um, had only I had a LinkedIn account, but I didn't know that much about it. So I once again I just researched as much as I could, and and I had people out there in my network supporting me and looking out for me um, when I got there. And and then I had a crazy whirlwind journey there. I started off in a rotational program, mm-hmm. um, which was great. So I learned a lot of different things. Worked across um, HR. And then also, um, you know, customer success, learning the back end of the site and when people have problems and how you troubleshoot that. Um, and then I had 
I, I, I had, and I say had in, in, in a general sense, I actually basically forced an opportunity to get back to New York because I wanted to be closer to family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I joined the ad ops business. Um, and so learned a lot about advertising operations, had no idea what an impression was, had no idea what Google DFP was or any of the things that sort of the tools that, you know, gird that practice area, learned that, and then got the shot of a lifetime at the time to, to join the editorial team. And I basically got to backfill the role of the person who actually referred me to LinkedIn. Wow. So if you think about networking, like I've known, his name is Troy. I've known Troy for the better part of five to six years at this point. <clears throat> and so for him to refer me and then for me to actually backfill his old job mm-hmm. was just unbelievable, right? But that's that's what a strong network will do for you. If you spend time nurturing it. Quick question before, because I know you, I know you get somewhere, but I do want to ask. Um, in regards to networking, outside of the common things we typically hear about networking, is there any any things you've learned over the over over the course of the last couple of years or during your journey that may can help our, our our people, our listeners, that um that may trying to get to the levels that they don't really know how to, but they can also add some tips on networking. Yeah, man. So I think I think. Um, you got to reframe networking. Networking is a dirty word yeah. to a lot of people. So I, I think about if I show up in an event that I know is the the purpose of that is for people to meet each other and engage and and possibly share mutually mutual benefit. I come in there being intensely curious. So my goal at what you would call a mixer at a networking event isn't to exchange business cards. It's to find out what part of your story I could help you with. Mm-hmm. Full stop. So I know I know what I do. Right. I know I, I can identify some of the things I do relatively well. And I believe that's a resource for someone. So if I meet someone or I know someone's going to be there, my first task is to find out where they are, what they're working on, and how I can help. And so if you ask those questions and you become curious, it opens up the opportunity for you to actually engage and share what you do. And when you get that opportunity to do that, you can, and I believe you should lead with the problem you in fact solve. So a lot of people, you know, see me as, and, and my, my title and the DC co-founder, you see had a corporate brand, but that doesn't mean anything to anyone outside of the space we're in. Mm. So it's my job to make that matter to you. So I don't believe my title matters unless I show you what I do. Like mm. that fundamentally. And I don't care if you're a blogger or a writer, like be clear on what you do. I know a lot of bloggers, but I only know one of my homegirls, Melissa Kimball, who is creating a community for black creatives. That's very, very clear. Mm-hmm. There's, I'm, I'm not confused. So I think a lot of time we, we spend time, you know, trying to perfect our, our materials and they should be clean, but spend time explaining how you do and distill that down as clearly as possible. I think that that that's that's that that's that nugget right there as far as doing a deep dive, whatever you do, whether it's a speaker, whether it's a writer, entrepreneur, whatever, whatever lane you're in. Don't don't just think about, hey, I'm gunning for this title, gunning for this title, but be able to clearly articulate the value that you add in a, in a way that people can kind of understand and, and exactly say, OK, well, you might be able to solve this problem because your title can't solve this problem. But no. what you but what you do or the value add can solve maybe solve issues. So like if we're at a function right now and we're talking, like how would you explain um, what you do or who you are to to myself? Like we were at a function right now. Um. Yeah. So if, if we met, I would actually ask you what you do first. If mm-hmm. I got to you first, so I would I would open with that. 
and then you would you would tell me you're you're leading in a um, an award winning podcast and and you know a hundred thousand listeners and you ask what I do, um, and I would tell you that um, I work at Blavity, um, and sometimes people are, oh I've heard of that if you haven't I would actually explain what to you what that does mm-hmm. because who I serve is more important than what I um, than what you see on my card mm-hmm. because that actually makes it a conversation and then I would tell you that I I, I work at the intersection of um, creating valuable partnerships and then pushing the ideology of what Blavity stands for and what our community represents um, through a couple different vehicles. So sometimes that's media, sometimes um, that's partnerships um, that are revenue driving, sometimes it's not. But I focus on making sure that the story of who we are and what we do um, is salient and it matters for our community and for the people who hold us accountable. Mm, I love that. I love that. So my bad for interjecting. I know you were getting there because I know the big question you're at LinkedIn. So when it is, when did this bubble of a thought start coming as far as blavity? Like what was the inception of that and how did that look like? What did that, what did that look like? Yeah, man. So the inception started way before I got to LinkedIn, right? So at, um, wash you, there was a table in the middle of, um, the, one of the dining areas and it was where black people gathered <laughs> so uh when i was there the black population was about four to five percent of the total um undergraduate student body and if you were an engineer or you were in the business school or anything really the odds of you seeing multiple black people during the day were pretty low frankly so that was the only time you could sort of step out of your class and sort of exchange some sort of um cultural moments right and there's joy there um so that table was where people, you know, cram for exams. It's where um, your mentor might meet you. It was where people would figure out what they were doing on campus that night. It was the center of black life. And there was a term for that. It was called blavity, right? So that is the word black and gravity compressed together um, to describe those moments of shared community Mm -hmm. that I think for me helped me refuel in an environment that didn't really care about whether I felt like my blackness was supported, but that table supported me. So um, Morgan, our founder and CEO, was in the Bay mm-hmm. before I got there. Um, and so she um, was student body president. She's She's been an entrepreneur. And so she had this idea of what would it be like to replicate that table, that feeling, that, that, that tangible but intangible thing that was unique to our campus. Mm-hmm in digital media, right? Because we're all consuming stuff. You're talking about the heyday of World Star, and you have all these sites, but we're, we we sort of scramble for all these different tabs, but who's telling our story and and how is it being told? Um, so, so credit for that idea and that inception and building that goes to her. And then my other co-founder, Jeff, who's our CTO, was also out there. Um, you know, So they were hacking on it, working on it. Other co-founder, Aaron, uh, our COO was in New York City, um, you know, working at, at Bain as a financial consultant. Um, and so all of us had known each other and we're all sequentially a year apart um, from WashU. So uh, Morgan did a fantastic job of essentially pitching each of us at really strategic times around this idea she had. Mm-hmm. So she sat me down at a, at a, at a park bench um, in San Francisco and was like, hey, I have this idea. And I was like, huh, all right, well, let, let's hear it. She gave me an idea and I was like, wow, that's interesting. Um, and I was like, well, what, what, what part of this can I play? 
And she's like, well, you write, right? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, cool. Well, you could probably do that. And I was like, huh, <laughs> interesting. Um, and I was still LinkedIn at the time, and I was actually getting ready to move back to New York. Um, and so it started from there, man. It was, it was nights. It was weekends. It was sort of um, – when we launched, we were – and some people might remember this. We were a video. So we were a video newsletter. And that um, was around 2000. What was what's, what's the timeline? That was, that was 2014. So you're, you're talking about you're talking about mid 2014. We we launched officially in July of 2014. So how long was it from your idea when you first set it apart bench to launching? Like how long was that? How, how was that execution phase? Man, I think execution phase. So Morgan had been working on it a, a little bit longer, but the execution phase of that, um, I think you're looking at probably four months just to get the beta out there, mm-hmm. um, and just to actually test it, see what people liked. And I think. One of the reasons we've been able to win is because we've been intentional about asking people if they're actually enjoying what we're giving as opposed to just giving them stuff and hoping they enjoy it. Those are two different things. So if you're trying to build an audience, you should really be focused on, am I solving a problem? How big is that problem? And are people actually looking for places to have it be solved? Are there other places this is being solved? And could I do it differently, better, faster, um, for less, whatever, whatever your differentiator is, I think that can be helpful. Um, in the case of Blavity, we saw an opening because no one was doing this, no one was telling it, no one was sharing it. Cause there's so many stories we have, mm-hmm. um, that deserve to be told and needs to be told. Um, and you know, Blavity fills that gap, um, in a variety of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to transition into the the present day, and that's what we're talking about, Blavity, um, Afropunk and whatnot. And actually, we'll we'll make it a little different. After we talk about the present day, we'll get a little bit more personal and talk about your journey as well, because I know specifically in the earlier round, I mean, when we first started talking, you said you always kind of draw a line because, of course, the work you're doing, the great work you're doing. Um, working with Blavity, but it's also the other side too, working through just, just getting older, adapting to different things in life. Yeah. So we'll talk about yeah. Blavity, then we'll get, um, talk personal and then we'll, uh, hit it with the future and the wraparound. We cool with that? Cool. Let's do it. All right. Cool. So right, in regards to Blavity, like when did y'all first feel like, yo, this is a thing? Like, like how did y'all get the word out initially? Did y'all already have like big fan base of people? Like where, where did it come from? Where it's like, yo, this is really taking off and people are starting to notice. Like when was that first moment? It was a ground up, man. I mean, I think when we when we first did the launch, and you can go back on our, our Facebook page and see this, we had a, a cool visual campaign, and the whole premise was like, this is for us, like this is for you to tell your story, and like this is what Blavity means, because you had to get people accustomed to that word, because you're thinking about we we put something into the ethos that really we only thought people from our you know general um, sphere knew, so people that went to watch you and had understood that concept, or it, it could resonate because you might have gone to a PWR, you've been in an environment where you're the only one. So a lot of that was education around what is this thing and what does it mean? And people encounter it differently. Um, I, I don't know if there was ever a moment, other people you know, in the company might have different different <laughs> perspectives diff, different perspectives on that. I think I've had a couple, um, a couple salient ones. For me, um, one of them was seeing Morgan in TechCrunch uh, for the first time. You know, that was, um, that was just inspiring. Like Morgan's a person that I, I've known for a minute now, and I have a lot of, you know, outside of it, just respect and admiration for who she is and what she's built, um, and how she's motivated people and who she is as a leader. But you know, seeing somebody I went to school with, I'd studied with, I was in classes with, you know, on the cover of, quite frankly, arguably the most influential publication in the tech world as it relates to things that are launching and coming up, like 
you know, that's somebody getting their just due. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was sacrificing for this for a long time. So that was one of the moments where I was like, yeah, we're, we're moving here. Um, you know, um, reaching a million uh, monthly um, uniques, that, that, was, that was pretty special. What was the traffic like early in the game? Like, how, how long did y'all really start tracking and seeing momentum like that? Because first of all, a million, that's freaking phenomenal. But how was it like the first couple of months when you first started? Like, what, what was the traffic like? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it went in spurts, man. I think, I think we we we've been tracking from the beginning, so mm-hmm. we've as we're pretty. I'd say we're very data driven, right? We, we track things, you test things, you iterate things. You know, traffic in the beginning, we, we we're sending a daily newsletter, and we had we had the platforms people could come and do videos, but really it was it was in sort of an amalgamation of very different things. So our Instagram, um, you know, is and it still is primarily like it was pictures of black art and black people doing cool stuff. Because we weren't seeing that, so you're you're looking at just a overwhelming amount of just images we were finding and reposting because we we're like, oh, this is dope! Like this is, did you see this art? There's a graffiti artist here. There's somebody, somebody's got a lit Etsy shop where they're making <laughs> cards. Like we should know this. Like we we we're out here doing this work. Nobody knows about it. And for that, that was actually an audience building thing because we just we were just like, yo, use the hashtag Blavity. Like. We want to make sure people know you're out there. So for us, it was it was about being intentional about what platforms we were using and why. You know, obviously, we were all on Twitter to begin with. So that was a way for us to message things out, to talk to people, for them to know that we were social and in the space. I think we're in a time when people spend a lot of time saying that uh, they're doing it for the culture. But the people that I know doing it for the culture don't have time to talk about how they're doing it for the culture. Mm-hmm. They're actually just doing it. Um, and they're consistent with, with what that looks like. So I think our voice and our tone was shaped over those first few months and thinking about, um, you know, we pivoted more to content, um, in the back half of 2014 to really get writers and start telling more of those stories. And I think that's one of the, the points when the, the uptick, cause people were ready for it. And we had just had, um, a pretty rough summer if you're thinking about 2014. So you're thinking about Ferguson, mm-hmm. you're thinking about you know instances where we're dealing with high high amounts of trauma and we needed a space and you know blavity was able to be that space for people Mm -hmm. i think that was really special and that allowed us to build some trust and then continue on that trust because that's what you need to build an audience right they can come but if you're not giving them something they want and if they don't believe you are who you say you are that relationship will end much faster than it started. Yeah, nah, you you you're hundred ten percent right, man. And I know we've talked about and most recently, um, I know uh, most recently y'all y'all received over a million dollars in funding. Or how does that yeah. work? Like, what what is it? Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm still I know I'm in the business world, but I'm I'm I, all the terminology and whatnot. I, yeah. I'm kind of unfamiliar with. Yeah, so we we close around a seed funding, um, you know, to think about expansion and making sure that, um. You know, we're growing sustainably um, and that we have the right partners in place to make sure we can continue to expand and and execute on on the things that, you know, matter um, to the business. So, um, you know, that's a that's a part of us growing and and sort of expanding. But we're really excited about that and and the new stuff that that'll be coming in 2017 um, as well. So, yeah, yeah, it's all good things. And I know we talked about or you said, okay, we got 
seven million dollars seven million people a month they're visiting the mm-hmm. site we just got a million dollars in seed fund i mean it's yeah. only been and i and i when i was doing research i was like yo i was kept refreshing the screen i was like 2014 that doesn't make sense it's only 2016 that's only two years i yeah. feel like this like y'all been around for a lot longer than that but we talk there's a lot of success online tech crunch on the cover of, of, of doing this hosting events it's a lot really really fast but from your perspective what do you what would you say is with the first core challenges um, that y'all face as a company starting off because I know we 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 seen we're talking about the highlights, but what are some what is, what, what 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 would you say is the concrete from your lens? Um, the, the one of the low points of the journey where you were like, "Yo, I don't know if this thing's a thing," or you got hit with a punch that you did not see. Hey, all types of punches. I mean, I've been people when we first started, right? Like nobody knew who we were. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was in New York, so everybody's got a brand in New York. Like everybody's hustling, everybody's got something they're doing, everybody's got a company, and and I, that's one of the things I love about the city. But you know, I was out here pretty much dolo, just trying to make sure that people knew who we were and that we could expand, and um, people understood sort of the the methodology behind what we were trying to do. And man, I can't really think of one consistent one. It was just hard to to get people to care, right? Because you can't, you have to understand what they're thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you, you know, you can have, you're like, you know, a lot of people are like, yo, I have juice. I know, I know what I'm doing matters, but you have to spend a lot of time thinking about how should you position how you're doing what you're doing Mm -hmm. to maximize the efforts that you want. Mm. And I think for me, I had to get really clear on the things that actually added value and things that didn't. And that takes a lot in a city like New York where there's a bunch of events all the time. And should I go to this? Should I go to that? And that's an okay question. A better question is, what does me walking into this room net out to the actual thing I want to do, right? So if my priority is meeting movers and shakers, does going to this individual mixer help that? If so, great. How many people will be there? I need to talk to three of the five people. That's my goal. Cool. I have an intention. Just going and showing up. Like you can get brushed by, you might see a homie, you guys might talk, like you're not, you're not focused. So, you know, for me, the the challenge was there's all of these things I could do. There's only a few things I should do. And I only have time to do a core group of things. Mm. How do I figure out what those things are and execute on them? Mm, nah, you hit you hit on the head, and you can kind of apply that to to life in general. I mean, to 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 kind of conceiving that notion and being intentional and and looking for what how like what seriously because a lot of people and even to me sometimes I, I think about certain things I'm trying to accomplish. Just add on more stuff, add on more features. Let me blog, and then on Sunday I'm gonna do a YouTube thing, and then blog every Tuesday and Thursday release a podcast, and Wednesday do this, Wednesday do that, and it sounds good. It's like I'm building a brand, building momentum, but it's like no, 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 no. Maybe saying okay, strategically, what, where am I best focused at? Where am I best equipped to handle? And let those things and focus be intentional. Those one, maybe two things. And then kind of let that originate into maybe one day I can get to five things, but for right now, kind of having that 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 singular focus. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, and to and to that, so I know over the last couple weeks, no, nah, it was a November eleventh. Y'all had Afropunk. So tell us about the inception and how that came about, and how you were able to kind of and first to inception, how it was, what was the turnout, and what it what and going forward, like how how may, some changes you might make to it. Yeah, so 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 it's called Afrotech. I want to get Afro-tech, clear. Afro- Ooh, yeah, all good, all good. Afrotech's like an actual separate festival. 
that happens in New York and Atlanta and, uh, and internationally. But so Afrotech, um, you know, myself and my other co-founders, like our background is in tech, right? So there's a lot of things that happen in the industry, a lot of conversations. One of them obviously is around diversity, the lack thereof and therein. And generally speaking, when that conversation comes up, three things happen. One, it's people that are that don't look like us talking about the fact that the problem needs to get fixed. Mm-hmm. So that's that's just like why sway. Um, there's oftentimes people that do look like us get asked to be on stage, but they get asked to talk about what it feels like to be yourself as opposed to what does it feel like to build a business or what does it feel like to be really good at your job? How have you grown in your job? So they get asked about their identity um, in the in the context of they're not being more of them as opposed to the excellence that they've always had. Mm while in fact being black, right? Also problematic. And the third is that we don't get to talk about the cool stuff we're doing and building because that's what black entrepreneurs are doing out here, uh, building and doing cool things, getting funding for their companies, um, creating new opportunities, jobs, resources for communities that have been um, traditionally degraded um, and told they don't matter. But those narratives usually get buried. So Afrotech is a direct response to that. And it's not a diversity conference. It's a conference um, that was focused on highlighting black entrepreneurial talent and then actually providing tactical solutions, ideas, and strategies for people that want to build things and want to get into the technology industry. So I, I think um, it, it, the reception from what I saw was, was, was phenomenal. Um, you know, we had um, upwards of 650 people show up um, and stay, which I thought was um you know, pretty special for a first-time conference um, in San Francisco. Um, man, these speakers, the, the footage will be out um, and shortly, but these speakers were incredibly dynamic. Like, I, I, had, um, I, had a, I had a chance to talk to somebody um, on stage. I'll, 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 I'll let people see the footage when it drops, but, like, that conversation, like, what he was talking about fundamentally changed how I thought about my career period, like just flat out. And that was, that was the same for a lot of these speakers who people got a chance to engage with. And I think based on that was, it happened right after the election, right? So if you think about contextually to gather that many black people in a room and celebrate ourselves and to refresh and remind ourselves that we're building and doing and consistently crafting, um, these beautiful things to have that moment to sort of inhale our greatness and exhale our ambition, I think was, um, you know, beautiful. Man, that's, that's phenomenal. And logistically, how long did it take and how many, I mean, how long did it take to put together a conference of that magnitude? That's 650 people in, in the Bay. And I looked at the cost. It won't cheat to go. So, (laughs) so like logistically, how long did it take to put that together? Like how long, I I know probably when y'all started, y'all thought in y'all future say we're going to do conferences and whatnot, but bringing it to fruition, like what was that process like? Yeah, man. I mean, I mean, the planning, we, I think in the end, we're looking at like, you know, four, four or so months, which is, is pretty aggressive. That's from, real, man. That's very aggressive. Usually uh, people, 18 months, right? Yeah. And I mean, if you're thinking about tech conferences, like I want to be clear, like our price points, um, if, if you're familiar with that game, we're actually pretty low. So mm. if you're thinking about what it costs to go to, 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 go to actual um, tech crunch or um, any of these other standalone conferences, 
you're minimally looking at like seven hundred dollars. Right. And that's that's like you're talking about general admission tickets. Mm-hmm. And then you go up from there, VIP corporate. So, you know, I think I I, I would I think we, we, we did our our best and I, I would say a a pretty good job making sure that it was we, we could create an accessible environment mm-hmm. um for people that was still high quality. Um because I, I think too many people have a preconceived notion, whether in our community or not, of going to something that is black owned and being disappointed. And I'm not with that because I know for a fact that the amount of quality and um, talent and um, consistency that we possess is out there. And I think part of that is a statement to say, like, this is a thing that we do, we own, we operate, and it's awesome. And you should come. And you should have a great time because you'll learn something. You might get a job. You might meet a future co-founder. You might meet somebody who could invest in your business. Like there are a plethora of things that rooms like that um, bring out for people. It's just that a lot of us never get a chance to actually encounter that room. And so I think that, um, you know, makes it special and also makes it a um, an environment that's that's welcoming and 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 more inclusive in, in many respects. Mm, nah, you hit it. You hit it on the head beautifully. Uh, so as we kind of transition out, out of the blavity and kind of dig deeper into kind of who you are and, and your growth as, as a man over the last couple of years and what life has taught you before we like, as we segue into that, uh, this question has been pressing on my head that because I, I, Blavity is all about empowerment, showing these phenomenal and, and great stories of people of color that are doing phenomenal things in a variety of different spaces. But we have this we have a large, large part of society, specifically um, younger kids, middle school, high school, elementary people that I teach. And I'm seeing now because I teach a title one school that. Mm-hmm are not privy at all to what's out there. Um, not privy at all to people that look like them that are they're achieving it like problems that like challenges that that, that that are motivated that have something around in life. And it's like, man, do you have there's so much stuff that's great and it's phenomenal is going on that they can see they got access. All these kids got phones, but mm-hmm. like what 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 are some things that that you think that we could do to kind of make that transfer to start making that transfer because the public school system's not changing anytime soon. So um, <laughs> we I mean of course we can say theoretically let's change the public school system but we have so many kids that I know like I have had students already that have been that, that have been locked up that have died and I've only been in school two months that I've seen all yeah. this crazy stuff. But yeah. how like how can we continue to start crossing over into these students that don't see anything outside of Durham or don't see anything outside of New Hampshire or wherever these these their places are from? Yeah, man, that that weighs on my heart um, pretty heavily. Um, and there's a there's a future state in my in my in my life at some point where I'll probably I'll probably teach. Um, but I think more immediately. It starts with actually having a conversation. I feel like a lot of people, I, I've talked to a lot of these kids and I've gotten a chance to engage with a few of them. And, and by and large, they state they're like, people will only want to tell me what I'm doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, I, don't, I, I think part of this becomes a conversation about get to know who this person is and what they actually want and then provide them the resources that you think could be helpful. But too often, um, you're getting bombarded by um, a lot of different 
asks on your attention. Mm-hmm. And I think attention is something you have to earn. So if, um, and once you earn it and you can keep it, if you figured out how, how you were able to earn it and you sometimes have to iterate on that, but more directly, I think if you're in a city where, you know, there's opportunities, I think you just got to show people different things they could be doing. Um, I think we do a fundamental disservice when we only promote a specific kind of success and act like that's the only way. And I, I don't mean the traditional, like rapper athlete right i think that's like a tired narrative mm-hmm. i i'm talking about when we say you know you if if you get to wall street you'll be good mm-hmm. that's not true because i know a lot of people that have lost their jobs this year mm-hmm. and they're well educated have no criminal record and by and large are you know upstanding members of society so like we need to stop touting certain things as if they are the pinnacle of success. Yeah. No. Um, and I think we need more examples of people doing things on their own terms and that have actually failed and were okay. And in many respects better because of what they learned from those things. Cause a lot of us are scared to fail, whether or not you grew up in a community that's um, disenfranchised or not that petrifies most of us. And then failing in public, like that'll give us nightmares forever. So we just rather not take any risks because of that. And I think we have to have an honest conversation with ourselves before we talk to these kids to see if we're actually living the kind of things that we're telling them they're capable of doing. Yeah. Nah, you you hit a lot of that stuff on the head that I see. And uh, to kind of segue where we're going, the one thing, the first thing you said to get, to, you got to get to know them in order to do that. And I think to, to get back to, to, to personally, because I think we live in a society where even as adults, whatever career you're in, it's hard for even us to get to know each other a lot of times because yeah. we put on just as many, just as, just as the careers that we've been positioned to get into, we put on so many airs that it's, it's, it's very hard to get to know people because it's, it's like everybody has an agenda or it's just it's just a very con- and that hurts us as as young adults specifically in the the African American community because it's hard for us to that's why it's so unique that y'all had a four person founding crew and it was like I mean not not to say I know the whole gist but it doesn't seem like there was too much discord there wasn't any complaints whatever y'all worked together y'all made it happen but a lot of times it's just that we it's hard for us to find that kind of camaraderie amongst each other camaraderie amongst ourselves and. Why do you think our society and like this is through a lens of what we see in our culture is so we it's hard to get to know people and it's hard to get to and, it, and it's, it's so difficult to be vulnerable and to really grow and fail um, in front of people. Because like you said, right now we live in a highlight generation. We talked about it beforehand. It's all highlights. And if people can see the lowlights, then I think everybody in society wouldn't be as pressured to always look the best or be the best. And they it wouldn't feel the most pressure to not make those chances or shoot those shots that they know they probably couldn't take. Make, but still doing. So let, let's talk. Let's talk about that. Yeah, man. I, I. So I have an. I. I have. I have a personal theory on, on why. But before that, I think it's it's important to know, right? That for a lot of us, um, the pressure we come in with isn't just ours, right? It's generational. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of us have been sewing our own safety nets, and so jumping out of that has a different context. If you made the net, you were currently just learned how to stand up in, mm-hmm. and then you take a leap. Like that has reverberations, not just for you. So 
I think for a lot of us, we equate success with the ability to finally have options. We've been denied for a long period of time. And that, that, that's a burden. And you can't always share that with people who don't have that context because they don't understand where you're coming from or why you work so hard or all of those things. And that can be scary. Um, so I want to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. I, I also say that, like, I just think we're, 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 we, we, we operate from this place of I need to know. I want to control how this person perceives me so I can get what I want. Ooh. And I think we overestimate how much we can control somebody's perception and we let that dictate how we move. And I'm, I'm, I'm um, public enemy number one on that, right? Like I, I feel like I've spent a lot of, um, you know, the first half of my 20s doing that. Um, and I, I didn't know any better because I was like, man, I got to play this game as well as I can and then just just make it work. And, you know, it's insidious. It, it, it eats at you because after a while, the worst thing I don't think is is failure, man. Um, and I think, you know, you've covered that on this podcast a lot. But I think what's what's worse is knowing there's something you're supposed to be doing, not doing it and knowing the reason you're not doing it is because you're more interested in living up to an expectation so that you don't make people uncomfortable. Mm. And I don't mean people that don't like you. I mean your people. Because here's the thing, like a lot of us aren't growing the way we could because we know we're going to have to lose some people because our growth will inherently make them uncomfortable and then we won't be as close anymore. For me, for me personally, right, like 2016 is a year that I got cool with a bunch of people, but I'm not close to as many people anymore. Like we can be cool, but being close to Jonathan means something completely different. And I'm totally fine saying that this year. Last year, I wasn't. Um, and I, I think that's just a, a result of growth and realizing where I'm actually at and being okay that that's a part of my process and not feeling compelled to explain that to somebody. Mm. And if and if you could, and um, what, what and you don't got to get too deep, but what changed, though? Like, what changed from 2015 to 2016, though? Yeah, man, I just, I, I just, I, I saw some things that, um, you know, unearthed me. Like I got, I got, I got, I got shaken up. I've always, um, you know, there's some things in my family that I, um, mm-hmm. I had to go through mm-hmm. and I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish on people I don't have a relationship with. And I felt like it required me to think about time in a very different context because I, I think there's a level of urgency you work with when you realize that like, this is not a promised thing. So I think people are here and they have people have things to do and there's reasons people are living. Um, but I think when you when you watch, if you've had to grieve for someone who's alive, your whole life will change. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is somebody who used to be one way and is completely different now. And you watch that happen and you just want them to you just your 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 main prayer is that they could finally just showcase a little of who they used to be or who you grew up watching them be. Because that's like that that would give you life and it's not happening. And so then you have to, your world gets shaken and you have to reframe this idea of they might never be who they used to be. Will I still be faithful to the things I know I'm supposed to do here? If this prayer never gets answered, will I still be the same person? Mm-hmm. And that requires you to really figure out who you are in duress. Like I've had to discover who jonathan really is under fire like i've never really had a chance to like 
sit and like reflect openly um, because things have just come and I've been like, I have to deal with this. Now I don't, I would say that one of the best blessings I've had is that I haven't had the, um, the freedom of not feeling a certain type of pressure. And that has made me very um, aware of um, where I'm at at the moment. And it's, it's forcibly, I've had to raise my EQ aggressively since I was, since I was pretty little because I've had to know what my surroundings are like, because I don't know when they're going to change. And and I, I think, I think, I think that's, that's part of it for me. And that's, to to be honest, man, you, you know, as somebody, I think you, you've been open about your journey you share what you've been through and and you've overcome, but um, I think you might echo with this, but a lot, for a lot of us, awareness doesn't mean action. So you can have all the awakenings you want, but getting out of the bed is totally different. Like you hear the alarm go off. You're like, all right, bet I got to go run. I got to, I got to do, I got to do my, my, my quiet time. But whether you get up is the action that builds the habit. So I've had awakenings that I didn't take seriously until this year. Yeah. I've, I've known them. I'm saying I knew 2014, 2015, and then I just moved in 2016 and 2017. I'm going to do a lot of moving. So, you know, like there's a, I had to be honest with myself about the things I was sleeping in my personal life that were inhibiting me from being the kind of person I know I'm capable of. Nah, you 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 hit that on the head, and I think um, I think I heard somewhere in there is sometimes you have to do give yourself some some breathing room when you haven't like you you get that awareness but you haven't made that change yet that doesn't mean that you 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 live life with the low energy like man i guess i guess i'm not here i said i know i need to wake up earlier but the day i still hit the alarm clock i mean sometimes a small win is at least you're addressing it but if you're addressing it for four or five years that's 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 wrong but just but continue trying to find alternatives this is my thought process i I can't speak for everybody but continue to kind of find alternatives to what will get you up like if because back in it like because right now i can speak personally back in the day i used to be able to get up at five because i said my my whole narrative was if i'm getting up earlier than everybody else then i can be perceived as supernatural like this this guy that would just different he was an alien Uh so it was all perception but mm-hmm. then once I started to realize, like, yo, protection doesn't matter because people really don't care about you as much as you think they care about you. Like, yeah. not, like, like, like nobody wakes up for the most part. No, I'm not in no level wakes up like, yo, what is Greg Hill doing? Like, no, like, yep. get off yourself. So right. once that narrative changed, though, me getting up early in the morning, it didn't wake me up just because I was different. It, mm-hmm. it changed. It was like, okay, so now I'm in the process speak openly i don't wake up every morning at 4 30 that used to be my tagline every morning 4 35 miles it's mm-hmm. a lot more difficult now it's tuesday sometimes thursday sometimes i'm not waking up when i need to wake up mm-hmm. and me just being comfortable with that and not waking up with a sense of anxiety or dread mm-hmm. because i didn't hit this this theoretical point is a step for me because i know i'll get back there but i'm still trying mm-hmm. to find like what, like redefine the why, because as I've gotten older, my why's have changed. When I first got, mm-hmm. like when I was early twenties, it was because growing up, nobody really said I was exemplar. I was average. So uh-huh. I was like, boom. But then as, it, as, as I've, I've, as I've matured, I've been starting to think, okay, really, what is my why? And I'm still trying yeah. to find that because it can't, my, like for some people, it's their family. For me, it's not. So that's mm-hmm. the space that I'm trying to grow and I'm getting close, but I, I still have room to grow in that. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I think that's what it is, man. A lot of us aren't okay with the fact that we might be different this time next year. 
and we don't celebrate that enough, right? Like Jay, like 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 Jay Z said, right? Do you think I worked this hard to stay the same? Like you really think I'm going through this self development process for you to see me a year from now? Like, man, Jonathan, you haven't changed a bit. <laughs> what? I hope so. Bet. Like, okay, cool. <laughs> like, I hope I changed. I hope I grew. You know, I hope I hope I hope the things about me that um, you know, I, I wanted to be anchors in my character are still the same. I hope I'm the same type of person and friend and brother and son. Yeah, like make sure my immovables are good, but like I should be evolving out here. Like I'm doing this thing once. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we we play around like that's the thing. We treat we treat we treat the present like it's hand me downs. Mm-hmm. Like 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 it's like it's not something you want to wear in like and be proud of right now. Ooh. That's deep. Like why? Like why? 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 I, I asked myself, like, why? Why do I do that? Why do I pretend like this is a throwaway day? Throwaway day for who? For what? Like, like we can't throw this away at all. Like I don't, I don't know. You know how how it works for other people, but for me, I I can't. I don't want to look back and have a sense of regret, not because I didn't do everything I could, but because I. There were there were things I could have maximized on or shots I could have taken that I just didn't for no other there wasn't a hand in my face. I wasn't getting I wasn't getting double teamed. I just saw the hoop and was like, mm, nah. Like that's totally on me. Mm. That has nothing to do with anybody else. Yeah, nah. And I think um in 2017, and I'll say this publicly. I think one area then and 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 I'm gonna ask myself this question. I'm gonna ask you like one ugly truth that you gotta stare down and go through. And the one ugly truth that I learned about in 2016 that I've 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 dodged around it, but now I have to address it is that um until I continue and really redefine my character, then the blessings or the future that I know exists, it will not show up. And not to say I'm out here backsliding, doing all this crazy stuff, but I know there's core things as far as staying true to all my commitments, regardless of who I'm committing something to. Because mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it varies. My commitment, if I know somebody that's going to hold me accountable, is a lot higher than I know somebody I can adjust certain things on, I can fall through on. And I got to realize those small things of saying, okay, I'm going to do something at a certain time, those things are inhibiting me from taking that next step. I know it. I've been addressed, but I've always thought that my raw talent or raw ability or what people thought of me would be able to escape or out, out, outlast that. But no, dude, like, you know, if you say you're going to do something, do it. If you know that this is, this is something you live by, this is discipline, this is, this is commitment you have, then do it. And until I, that, that scary truth about myself, about that, that character. Not just, okay, not to say I'm going to do everything right. I'm not going to be like Jesus in 2017 or tomorrow. Let me not even wait to 2017. But I know there's certain things I have to address and, and adapt to. And I can I can get more skill sets and we can call more podcasts. I can uh-huh. do conferences. I can do all this stuff, stuff. But I know that ugly truth that if I do not shape that character, then right. every part of my success will be flawed. Because I still maybe have a I still have a family, God willing. I still have all this stuff. But if those core things don't change, family's gonna be flawed. The next job I get will be flawed. And that's right. stuff that that I can't shake away. And that's an ugly truth for me. Yeah, man. I mean, I have a couple. So the first one is that I I have spent a lot of time compromising um, the things I actually want to do because I felt like it would make other people around me happy. Um, now, that is actually 
the deeper truth is that that's a learned behavior because I there are a lot of people in my life that I feel like have oftentimes conflated sacrifice with subservience. And what I mean by that is the idea, like the, like the idea of what sacrifice actually is um, versus what we perceive it to be. Mm. And I think, right. I'm from, I, I think I, I favor my mother in this. I'm like, I'm a giver. Like that's, that's in my, that's in my nature. Um, and I, I don't say, I don't say that to humble brag. I mean, I just, I, that, that's actually just like, a part of my identity. And so I, I, I can't really run from that. But the other side of it is that I haven't given myself what I need. And I've often wondered why I wasn't getting it from other things. And so when Jonathan doesn't get what Jonathan needs from himself, he'll find other ways to fill that gap. Um, and if I'm not careful, I can fill a gap, but it could be toxic. Like the gap will just be net negative for me. Um, and it, and it won't be, uh, what it needs to be. And I won't give myself, uh, the things that I need to, to actually be, um, effective. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, I think one of the other truths are that I, I have, there are things I know I'm supposed to be doing that I just have not done for no reason other than I don't see how they could possibly be done. So I, I've just found unique ways to be like, that's not plausible. <laughs> yeah. You know <what> I mean, <laughs> I just like, nah, like that's not, you know what I'm saying? Like you, like you, that's the, that's the thing about hitting the rock bottom, right? We don't keep it a thousand. Mm -hmm. Most of us don't want to go there, but here's the thing about when you're at the bottom of something, it's silent. And then you can finally hear the thing that's been screaming, but you've been muffling. Mm. Nah, you're right. We we really want to be in that middle ground where we're 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 not at the bottom, but we're not at the top. But it's like your middle ground, you still. But that bottom is just so scary. You gotta touch that bottom, man, because you don't because it's dark, right? It's like the ocean. It's bottom and dark. It's ocean, and you just feel around, right? But but you don't you don't you've never you've never really touched that you've never seen that bottom and then when you think there's a bottom there's like an actual other bottom, and that's a lot of what 2016 was is like touching that and being like wow like I didn't know there were parts of this year where I like lost my voice like I didn't I didn't know I didn't sound like myself I was just like well, who am I like what's good like where like other things I used to love that I just stopped doing and I was like what like what's happening like why where am I. What what is that? And I had to get comfortable with where I was at that moment and understand, in many respects, still understand like this is a season. Like there's things I'm seeing and witnessing that um, there's something else behind it, and I, I desperately want to know what that is now, so I can obviously future plan for it. And you know, what I'm saying write it in my calendar. But that's not my job right now. My job right now is to honor the process I am in and be open to what that is showing me about myself, whether I like it or not mm -hmm. is irrelevant because the process is still happening. And I said, I want like most of us are like, <laughs> if we knew what growth looked like, we would never ask for it. Mm. Oh my gosh. Like if you knew, like for real, like if you, if, if someone gave you an option at 13 and was like, this is what puberty is going to be. And literally walked you through a slideshow of your own puberty and was like, you could do this or we could skip to the point where you're actually 6'2 
You actually <laughs> don't have clown feet. There are no braces involved. That acne is a thing of the past, and you can dunk. We don't have to go through this process. Like, give me the pill, Morpheus. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I think that's what a lot of this growth looks like. And it's not sexy, man. Like, there are times where I've, as a person, I'm, I never even said this out loud, I have been jealous of other people's self-care routines. I've been on Instagram like, man, like, do I need to buy a notebook and some 1,200 thread count sheets and, like, a quill pen and, you know, <laughs> take a picture of me relaxing on a Saturday? And I was trying to take care of myself the way other people take care of themselves. Mm. As if that was going to help me. Because that's all I knew. And what I realized, the real ugly truth is I grew up in a house with a lot of love. I realized that doesn't mean I was taught how to love myself. Bang. Bingo. Those things are different. And I, I, that, that's, that, that, is, that is no fault. But it is something that like I've had to come to grips with. Like I never learned that. Nobody taught me that. I didn't. I didn't think like, that wasn't a thing. And it's 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 not. It's nobody's fault. It's not my parents' fault. It's, it's not on anyone. It's a reality. Like I'm bad at self care. I'm not good at it. It is a gap for Jonathan. I need help with it. I will need help with it for the rest of my life. It is something I I can forget to do. So knowing that, I have to take steps. To tell my to tell the people I care and trust that I need you to hold me accountable to take care of myself. Mm. I need your help with that. The reason we don't ask for help is ego. It's all about ego. That's the third thing. I've learned that my ego is very different, but it's just as dangerous as the typical way we perceive ego, which is my chest is out, I'm puffing it, I can't be touched. My ego says. I need to stay in a place I might not need to because I'm the only reason this can get done. That's ego. Mm. Because it's directly attached to me feeling like I need to be wanted. That's ego. Because huh. if I'm wanted, I'm valuable. No. You, you know, you're hitting, you're preaching right now, and I, I think you hit it on the head. And I think um, as we b almost begin to transition to our next round is um, the most the most the thing that was most relevant to me that you said it and this we we don't learn in our adulting years is about the like modeling what love or relationships and all that stuff look like because even though you may have seen it in your household a lot of times it never and and, and honestly I blame myself sometimes I never asked a question to my parents or to others like how that how how to cultivate a good relationship how to love like that sounds weak to me so i never say hey my how you love her? i've never asked those type of questions and because mm -hmm. i was in a, a, a bible study the other day and we were we were i lead a bible class and we talking about relationships and i was realizing that a lot of the core bricks are in my relationships because i one the only places that i really understood what how relationship should probably look like was a my parents relationship and be what I honestly naively saw on TV and movies. Like that's my basis on, and then maybe some stuff I hear, say I hear from my friends and getting their acknowledgements of, but they, mm -hmm. I never really ask people in depth questions on, okay, what is a, a good relationship look like? How do you really start dating? How do you go about these things? No. So my, my format was automatically flawed and it's something that I never learned because then a I never asked those questions and and never because I mean I'm that's it's, it's vulnerability is not just sharing 
like nope. who you are. That's when, that's one thing I used to always think. I share a lot. I'm vulnerable. No, no, no. Vulnerability is like my father, which was in and out of my life, asking him, okay, why were you in and out of my life? Like why? Because those characteristics I have now, I see, and I uh-huh. thought you were going there in, in myself. And I'm like, yeah. so I've never asked him that. I never asked. And and maybe this might not be my business. Like what went wrong in your relationship with my mother that, that caused yep. a divorce? Yep. Like these are yeah. questions as adults that if we ask, we would get so much clarity and so yeah. much knowledge, but we never, and it, it's, it's crazy. I know that was random, but I mean, that, that really just, spoke to me. I mean, that's, I mean, and that's what it is. We don't, we don't, we don't have those spaces to do that. Mm. And the, and the problem, the problem is everybody pays the price. when We don't ask those questions. Like everybody you care about, when you don't ask those questions. It hurts everyone. It hurts the person you're going to be with. It hurts the kids you might have. It hurts your parents. Who might have tried to hide that from you, but now everybody's adults now. Like there's no hiding. You get exposed whether or not you you want to. Whether you admit it is a different question. Like there's a point where everybody gets exposed for who they are. Happens. Happened to me this year. Literally got got exposed. I've gotten exposed multiple times. Just like, hey, like you said this, but you're actually acting like this. So your actions are the sum total of what you actually did right you can you can talk about intent all you want but your actions are telling me what you value and i i think what you're talking about is the gap that a lot of us have is because that requires us to be scary close Mm. and and i think a lot of us (laughs) we want the grace we're not willing to give yeah i'm saying like we want we want we want to have that space but like there's probably people that I have not been that thoughtful towards. And then I wonder why I have this like blockage, right? Like I, I saw the other day, someone said, there's probably a correlation between how much you love yourself and how much grace you're willing to give, right? Not, not, not be a sucker, not get walkover, but just be like, you know what? I'm actually okay with myself to be okay with the fact that this is what it is. And I'm not going to let that pull me out of my character. Like my circumstances don't, don't dictate how I move out here. And that was my, that's been my mindset shift in the back half of 2016. It's like, look at, these are my circumstances in my life. I'm facing some things that, you know, it, it's feeling like fourth quarter and I got 30 seconds left and, and we're down by four um, with, with no timeouts and a full court press. How am I going to make this work? And they have the ball. Like, what am I going to do? And then I start getting erratic. But then the, 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 the part I'm most thankful for is that I have people around me who have reminded me of who I not just have the potential to be, but who I can be right now. Like, I don't have to wait to be. Like, I was like, we got to wait to live our best life as if it wouldn't require us to give up our current life. Like, like I'm guilty of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm the kid who's like, oh, I'm telling you, I'm saying level up to 2017. How, when you can't even bench the bar in 2016, like, how are you going to do that? <laughs> like, how, no, for real, how, like, how's that going to work? You're just going to wake up after New Year's and be like, man, I'm living my best life today because you told yourself you were, because you, you actually shifted your habits. Which one? And that's my challenge to my, I talk to myself. Like, this is not like, I, I like, this is Jonathan, like, you got to do this work because no one's going to do it for you. Yeah, no, nah, 
and, and I think I'm a just just for saying that, I don't think I'm gonna write that down and in, in my journal write that question out because I've asked myself that but when you when when I me imagining myself write that down I think would generate a whole different response than my my mind saying that because my mind is is clever it'll say okay oh, yeah. you got it da, 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 but you write it down it's like ooh yeah it's on. different yeah it's different. So um to to close this man cuz I man bruh this so many so many so many takeaways and jewels from that, that I can't even fathom trying to pick out all at once but I do want to ask this one question before we go to a rapid fire round um when it's all said and done when it's all said and done how do you how do you want to be remembered oh man oh, I think about this a lot I I want to oh, it's a good one um and I, I, ju- I just want to feel like I, I, I had an impact where I needed to, and that I, I lived up, I lived a life worthy of the gifts I was given. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want, like, there are things I'm good at, and I feel like I, I, my, my struggle has been, I, I don't know why. Like, I, I haven't known why I have the gifts I have, and I, sometimes I felt like I'm just like, randomly good at stuff, and it, it, it like it's made me feel like I'm just an outcast sometimes because I don't know what to do. And then when you don't know what to do, you let other people tell your story for you. And so my, my goal is to make sure that I have exercised everything I was capable of and that at the end of my life, I can like die empty, right? Like I don't have anything else left. That I, 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 I did what I was supposed to do. And that I was a, I was a resource, and people were better because I was involved in some aspect of their life, and that that points them somewhere. Because I'm I'm I'm, I'm I don't wax poetic when I say this, but like I grab into some things that like if we're talking numbers or like I'm not really supposed to be here by by these numbers if 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 we if we do it rationally logically like. There's some things that should have had me out the game fully, but I'm in the game. And so because I'm in the game, I, I can't pretend like um, I'm not here to do something because that's a fun, that's disrespectful. First mm. I, I like that. Don't pretend like you're not here to do something. And this is, these are some sermon topics, man. <laughs> I'll make I sure I give you. I'll make sure you get because I gotta do a little warm up, uh, <laughs> motivational talk tomorrow to these kids in this bad classroom. So I, I, I'm, I'm gonna give you credit. Like, don't y'all, y'all boy, y'all out here pretending like y'all not. Like, oh, yeah, that's it. Y'all sitting here, da, 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 da. y'all pretending yeah, like you're not supposed. Oh, you gotta, yeah, you gotta give him that Eric Thomas juice. Yeah, walk in and hit him in the face. Like, I'm not here to play with you. Yeah, nah. I think that's my shtick. I, I, as, I, as I continue to, to to work on Minecraft and develop Minecraft, I'll find my. I got a mix, but I I usually yeah. get real because I I read read the book. This is random. I read yeah. Richard Pryor's autobiography, and you know his yeah, first yeah. half of his career, he was like a incarnation, a little bit of Bill Cosby, and then. Uh-huh. As he grew and he started to master craft experiment, he got his own voice. So I found it's okay now. Not to say I don't sound like a clear. I got we got different stories and whatnot, yeah. but a lot of the stuff and terminology because I listen to so much ET that yeah. it's like it's naturally like that. But yeah. I know 
if I, as long as I continue to cultivate the graph, I'll get my own distinct Greg Hill voice. But now it's like a mix. This is everybody here. I just, yeah. I just, I don't know. <laughs> it's the gumbo, man. That's how everybody starts. I'm, I'm the same way as a writer, man. You think you take from people that you looked up to, like you, 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 you great artists steal, and then the best artists start to refine. And then when you refine, you can figure out um, who you want to be, man. You read the classics, like. Uh, there's times I probably I probably taken some rhetorical flourish that I saw Ta-Nehisi use and try to apply or just try to trying to grab and grasp I me mean, people in my peer set that I feel like are just doing crazy work and I'm like, how do I you know I like that how do I how could I use that and and mold it and shape it and craft it and and make it my own so yeah I like that and I like what you said people in your peer set because sometimes we always look to um the big guys the the top dogs but if you see somebody in your peer group that that's that helps me de- quickly deflect like jealousy because instead of me like my mind looks at somebody like oh they're doing this I'm like hold up great reframe all right what are they doing that you can like influence or impact or or yeah. what can you do to and that helps me not be jealous of people yeah. in my peer group <laughs> yeah man I I give myself a hater test like I ask myself once a week, did you read something by somebody you actually know? If you have their number, why didn't you text them you liked it? Ooh. That's, that's, I feel that's how I do it. Cause I, I, I get jealous too. Like, I'm not gonna front, but like, why, why, like, why live like that? Why not just be like, yo, this was dope, pay homage and keep it moving? Like, what, like, what are we? It's too, life's too short. Like, I, I spend a lot, I try to spend more time. The minute I feel that, I'm like, oh, it should be me. I'm like, you know what? Nope, 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 nope. Let me thank somebody. I like that strategy. I like, like that. just to figure it out. Like, well, like, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna sit spend here time hitting, or just be like, yo, this person's doing their work. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and they're shining. That's great. That's fantastic. I don't care. I don't care what people, other people think about how they're shining, why they're shining, where they got their glow from, what <laughs> type of light bulb they're using. I don't care. <laughs> like, let me just say what's up and keep and 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 remind them that they have a supporter because. We act like it's not cool to be a fan anymore. Since when? I'm a fan of people that write. I can name the five writers right now that I really like reading what they write and have no problem sharing it and telling people, I thought this was dope. You should read it. I love, I, I love, I love the craft, man. I love, I, love what I, I love what I do. I love putting words together. So how could I not love other people that do it? Nah. That would make me a sucker. that's the definition of a hater i love my i love my craft but not when other people do it all right bro (laughs) you don't like it it's not for the culture my before we get to the culture around can you can you share a couple a couple writers because i mean honestly i i i i I go to sites instead of writers Uh but um Uh yeah can you share a couple writers that uh for for our listeners yeah i'll give you a couple people i really like donovan ramsey um so he is, man, one of the, he's just a sharp cat, man. He's one of the, the best voices I've seen on race and culture. Uh, Morgan Jerkins, um, who's working on her, her forthcoming book, which I believe will be uh, a series of essays called This Will Be My Undoing. Um, and, you know, she's a contributing um, editor at, uh, I believe, Catapult. I could be wrong. Apologies if I am, Morgan. But she, man, she, if you're looking for somebody to just, puts that what I would call that quake in your bones. She writes about um, black women. She writes about feminism. She writes about um, equality. She wrote one of the best pieces on Colin Kaepernick I've ever I have seen this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's just, man. She's a she's just pay attention. Like Morgan is, Morgan is official. Um, Darian Simone. Um, 
who um, is editor at BuzzFeed now, but she has a dope podcast called Am I Allowed to Like Anything? Um, but she does some fantastic profile pieces. Um, and it's just, it's just, it's just really, really, um, in the culture, but also has a different, you know, view and, 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 and sort of palette for it. Alex Wolf, um, who was just in Fast Company's, um, hundred most innovative people, um, incredible writer. I would call her a hybrid sociologist, um, mixed in with an anthropologist. So she does a lot of work on like what makes an idea happen Mm -hmm. and what that actually looks like. Um, at the intersection of technology and culture and, and things like that, um, and and then obviously right like our, I would be remiss if I didn't I didn't you know shout out anybody sort of on the Blavity team that's staff writing or any of the, the the cohort of writers we have there that sort of have different bents and angles and you know spins on stories you might hear, but um, their perspective I think is is, is oftentimes. Um, left out of the mix, and so I think that, that we've done a good job of cultivating that. But yeah, man, I got, I got, I got, I got a list. I got, a, <laughs> I got, I got Twitter favorite list. Like I just think it's important to because when you when I when you have writer's block or anything like that, where you just don't feel inspired, I think it's cool to go to your peers and be like, yo, I I I bookmarked this a minute ago. I now I remember why. Like this this moved me. Amen. Uh, yeah. It's touched. So I got I got I got to get I got to get back to that place. And I definitely uh, make sure I put those links to the websites in the in the show notes. Can you, can you share a few links? Because uh, yeah, yeah, I'll hit you. I'll hit you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll, yeah. I'll, I, okay, I'll, we'll we'll talk about that. I ain't gonna. Sp- yeah, I'll spare yeah. y'all the www's, but um, <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. So, um, our last round, our most exciting round, is the culture change round. Where I ask a series of five rapid fire questions, and I get rapid fire answers, and then we wrap it up. You ready? Let's do it. All right. What's the best piece of advice that you have? never received i had to switch it up a little bit for you (laughs) Um, never received i've never been told that the path that people take to actually acquire power is usually not the same as the path they tell you they took to get there oh man See, that's why I knew I, I knew I could switch up the questions and you not just bobble it and just dribble off your foot you had to know your personnel (laughs) so what did you what, what made you think about that uh, well, I'm reading a book right now um, entitled Power by this guy named J- uh, Jeffrey Pfeiffer. He is a um, one of the foremost um, management um, thinkers on the subject of power as it relates to people's careers, but also corporations. Um, I believe he teaches out of Stanford. Um, and uh, the book's interesting because the way we perceive like the world and how it works is, is through this this just world theory. So we assume that the world is, in fact, just. And thusly, it allows us to rationalize when things happen to people we deem as bad. Mm-hmm. Um, we can basically write it off. So they did, they've done studies around when people are shown kids that are getting free and reduced lunch, people will inherently assume there's something wrong with that child mm-hmm. based solely on the fact that they've been given something. Same thing we do around um, mass incarceration, right? Like this person deserves to be in prison, mm-hmm. thusly in prison. And so that, that ideology seeps into how we think about our careers. And how we, you know, try to accrue power and influence, we use the methods we think will net us out the actual outcomes, when in reality, this is not fair. The environment is not fair. Mm-hmm. So operating in that um, framework will not net you out the outcomes you actually want. You just think they will because of the model you're using to interpret what you're seeing. Gotcha. 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 That's, that's phenomenal. Um, if you could add one personal habit to your life, what would it be? Ooh, it's a good one. Um, one personal habit. 
uh, I, I would be outside more consistently. I think I don't spend enough time like in nature, mm-hmm. like specifically just to be outside. Um, obviously, it's getting cold. I live in New York, aka the frozen tundra. <laughs> but I just think I, I need to do a better job, and I plan on in twenty seventeen like taking trips just to go see things. Amen. Not amen. to document it, not to just be like, yo, I'm, I, you know what I'm saying, I'm on the snap, and I'm just, I, you know, I'm in Montana, like just to go and to be quiet and to en- engage with that. That's what it's here for. That's what it's here for. Um, what is your favorite book and why? It's an ordinary one. Oh, man. I, this is tough. I'm going to give you, I got to give you three okay. just because I think that's 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 necessary. So first one, The Souls of Black Folk um, by W.B. Du Bois. Man, I, did, I just, at a time like this, people should reread that. Like just flat out. I don't care where you're from. I don't care your race, your proclivity, your religious background. Like just read the book because the way he actually breaks down and assesses um, a populace that did not was not given the ability to be analyzed in a way that showed them for who they are, I think is beautiful. So I'm a big believer in it's totally fine to measure people. You just need to make sure you respect the way and the way in which you categorize people with data, because I think data can be beautiful, but you need to know who you're talking about Mm -hmm. and to, uh, be thoughtful about the population and what it means to actually talk to them. Um, mm-hmm. um, oh man, second book. Ooh, um, I got it, man. I, I think I got to go with the five love languages. I got to read it again. <laughs> that, that, that was just, that's just helpful for me. I'm, I, I feel like I'm somebody with a relatively high EQ, but I haven't always known what I'm feeling. And a book like that, I think allows you to sort of place into context. We talked about this a little earlier, sort of how you're feeling the way you're feeling and understanding what that means. A lot of the the trick is, I think the vulnerability comes in when you have to tell someone how you would like to be loved. And a lot of us try to act like people, someone's just going to figure that out. That's not how that works from what I've seen. Like when you're intentional, you say, this is what I believe I would like from you. And Mm -hmm. this is how, I interpret what you're doing. And so I think that's a helpful rubric for anybody that's going through that or someone like me who's trying to figure out, you know, what that looks like for them. Um, my third, and these are these are all sort of sort of thinking books, right? But my third, I would say, um, is a book I read recently called Ego is the Enemy. So mm-hmm. it's by Ryan Holiday. And it is it was the most challenging read I I've I've had in 2016 because it made me rethink how I thought about what ego is and how it manifests itself. And so the book's broken down into three um, parts, right? The first is the rise. So when you're sort of on the grind and hustling, the second is when you're like successful, um, when you've reached a pinnacle or a peak of something. Um, and then, you know, um, the, the third side is sort of what comes next. Um, so how do you sort of gird yourself for w- what you're doing and what that looks like? And I think it's a good read for anybody that's, that's building something in college, about to enter work. Like it, it just, it's a challenging, I think, thought-provoking um, piece because it requires you to sort of evaluate um, what your ego actually looks like and how it might be affecting you negatively. Man, that's, that's, man I love that, man. I'm definitely, two of those books I haven't read yet, so I'm definitely going to make sure, and I'm reading W.E.D. Boys, and I ain't going to lie, W.E.D. Boys is a deep dude. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm reading his autobiography, which is 800 pages, and I tell you, yeah. every page is like, you have to have a college degree to get the yeah. every page. The, the, That'd be worth it. 
but that's but it's what, what I think about is important, Greg, is to say that a lot of us don't read outside of our comprehension level enough. Mm. We read things that are like we it's super easy for us. I don't want to have easy reads anymore. Because how did I grow from an easy read? Like if the easy read is like you can get through it, that's fine. But I think there has to be some sort of challenge. That's that's my rubric is to if I have a circle of competence, I should be expanding that. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to read books way out of my comfort zone because I think it gives me more of a base to play with when I start to think and make my own original work. Uh, you're you're exactly right, man. Uh, but I try to do that only one of them things a month. One yeah, of them, one I'll, of them, one of them. Like, I try to, I, yeah. but I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, especially if you know it's pivotal, it could be pivotal to your growth. Like if it's not a sentence or it's a page in that book that yeah. I know could take me to the next level or can expand my thoughts, then I'm all for it. So, um, our last two, our last two, um, or our last one. If you were the president of the United States, what is the first thing you would do? Wow. Wow. First thing I would do. Man. Oh. Obama been Obama been doing this with these cause with the with the with these executive orders like back to back. So I feel like I could I could sneak two in. Um man, the first thing I would do, I would definitely re we got it. We got to divest from prisons, yo. Like I just, I just feel like it is the it is the pinnacle institution through which a lot of what happens in our communities is um, is funneled. So I think there has to be a comprehensive um, breakdown and rebuilding of how we think about punishment as it relates to rehabilitation. Um, so I, I would, I would, I would try to, um, I would, I would, I would try to figure out what that looks like and how to actually have that national conversation and have that conversation, not stop at discourse, but actually move to policy. Um, simultaneously, cause that's a little heavy. I would also think about making the white house have some sort of annual family barbecue. Because I think with a lawn that big, there's really no reason why South by South lawn should be the only time that, you know, you swag surf. Like, I think there should be like, <laughs> be like an annual barbecue situation and you have to work hard to get the invite. But like, I just think people who doesn't like barbecue, like, I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican, like, do you like meat and vegetables and iced tea and spades? Like, wh- why not? Why not here? Why not now? Amen. Amen. I love that. I love that. I love that. So uh, we closed out that round. And of course, um, I call myself the culture change agent. And I believe that all, all the people that are pushing things forward are culture change agents. So the last question of the whole show, and I always ask this to all of our guests, is if you could change one thing about society, most specifically our African-American culture, uh, what would it be and why? Oh, man. Mm. I I would I I don't know if change is the word I I would I would use in this context for what I'm about to say I would I would look to um, shift this idea that we are fundamentally not enough because I believe it doesn't matter where you fall on the spectrum we all go through that 
So I think I, I, I would want us to, that belief, I think, drives a lot more of our decision making than we care to admit. So it dictates where we think we should work. It dictates who we think we should be with. It dictates where we think we should live. It dictates what we think we're worth, what we think we should negotiate, um, how we think we should um, appear to someone so they can like us. Um, and I think we've spent enough time pretending like we're not and acquiescing to what we think other people want us to be. And I, I, I just, it, it, as someone who's dealt with that and fought that this year, I think that like, that's the gift I would want to leave people is like, we are enough because we're in fact here and we can always grow and be better. But like, I think, I think it was a Frederick Douglass quote. He said, um, no man, let no man tell me the value of my soul. Mm. Like, not, like nobody can qualify that. And, and I think that's, I mean, like, that's just what it is. Like you can't, you can't let people give you that, that feeling about yourself because that's what it is, man. Like Baldwin said, no, from whence you came, if you know from whence you came, there are absolutely no limitations to where you can go. Mm. So like we got that first part, but like that second part gets a little muddled. And I think if we can clean that up, like you already seen this year, like we, we took L's this year, but like, we won in 2016. Like a lot of people I know are doing things that they dreamed about doing. I've done some things I never thought possible. Yeah. And that can't be the, that can't be the limit. So that's what I, that's, that's what I would, I would, I would, I would look to hopefully shift. Amen. Amen. Well, man, dog, it's been like, I, like I, I knew it was going to be a classic and I'll tell you it, I, I, I've, I've been scribbling now notes and segues and all this other stuff during this whole podcast man so many so many jewels have been dropped and actually i can't wait to re-listen to it man so <laughs> um and i'm not saying this just because you're on the show <laughs> like seriously like it was it was like man like i just had to shut up and be like yo this is this is this is some real stuff right here man so um i appreciate so much for um you honoring this commitment you said you was going to do it and every single time i reached out say i'm available you switched around your schedule you said boom i'm free i'm free i'm free i'm free i'm free i'm free and it was crazy man so thank you thank you so so much for coming on the show man dropping these value bombs being vulnerable and just sharing sharing your story your thoughts and your perspective man in such a way that we can comprehend it as well Oh man, Greg, I listen, I appreciate it. I, I wanna again, um, I wanna be I wanna just be really clear about this. Like building platforms is not easy, being consistent is difficult. And um life happens, man. You're you're teaching, you're educating, you're writing, you're building a brand, you're entrepreneur, like you're doing a bunch of things. So I wanna respect the fact that you reached out and that you're building this thing and you've been consistent with it and it's growing and it's it's a pleasure to be here. I support you. Um, let me know how I can help. And I, I want I want people to understand that like this platform that you're building, um, there are lessons in it, man. So I would encourage you to keep documenting the process because somebody else, maybe that you teach or maybe that is somewhere else right now, has a podcast that they want to do. And they're listening to these episodes to just get that fuel. So that's necessary. And I, I, I think that's important that people understand that this is not all lights, camera, action, that there are long nights, early mornings, and difficult afternoons attached to that. 
Amen. 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 So um, before we let you go, how can people reach you and find you? Where can they find you at online? How can people get in contact and, and stuff like that? Yeah, so I'm I'm everywhere at um, J-O-N two underscores Jackson. I have a super common name, so <laughs> apologies for you guys having to use other parts of your keyboard you otherwise wouldn't. Um, I'm about to rebuild my website again for the umpteenth time, but that will be um, JonathanDJackson.com. Um, and I'll have some, I'll have some content up there. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty much everywhere there. And, uh, you know, um, you can, you can reach me. I'm, I'm pretty, I like to say I'm pretty easy to talk to. I hope so. You know, <laughs> say what's up, <laughs> show love. We can talk about your favorite Netflix series, whatever. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. And I'm going to have all the links to his profiles in the show notes as soon as it goes available. So minority trailblazing nation, Thank y'all for tuning in. And like we always do, I need you to do two things. Not one, two things. One, make sure you go to iTunes, leave a review. Let's get us back into the top 150. And also, 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 remember, remember to change the freaking culture. Good night.